Lord, we thank you for the truth of the songs that we sang. I'm just overwhelmed in this moment with your grace in so many ways that I know I take for granted, just namely the breath in my lungs that you grant, that you don't have to, but you do in grace. And so, God, I thank you that right now, every fabric of this universe, every cell and every body is held together by the power of your word. You sustain all things. You keep all things. You hold all things. And so, Lord, we praise you this morning as the sovereign ruler of this universe and of our lives. And, Lord, now as we open your word, I pray that we see it as that. Not just another book. Not just literature. The living, breathing words of you. It is our authority. In it is our hope. So thank you for the gift of your word. Pray that you would speak to us now through it. It's in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning again. Uh, my name's Hank Atchison, teaching pastor here. At Safe Haven, um, welcome. I'm glad that you're with us. And, and, uh, and so if you have your Bible this morning, we'll be in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And, and if you're new today, we do uh, preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And, and so this is where we find ourselves this morning. So this topic this morning, you might think, well, man, I mean, this church must really struggle with slander and being judgmental. Well, we probably do, just like every church. But... It's just where we find ourselves today, okay? I mean, this passage today, is, it's just two verses, um, but it, it's a powerful punch, and um, it, I think there's a lot um, that's practical here, okay? A lot of things that we can walk away um, from this message with that will help us, um, and quite honestly, and I don't, say this in a, I don't say this lightly, but even if you're in here today and you're not a believer, um, the Bible offers some, some tremendous principles just to life and its function um, because it's by God's design. And the way God designed things to function is, is the best way for them to function. Um, and so I don't say that lightly because if, if you are an unbeliever this morning, my hope and prayer is that God in his infinite grace opens your eyes to the beauty of Jesus and the gospel that you'll hear this morning. Um, but I just wanted to emphasize just how practical this section of scripture really is. And so verses 11 and 12, I'm gonna read uh, our scripture and then we'll kind of jump in. We don't have a lot of time for, for a lot of overlap, but I'll give you some here in just a second. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 4, James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And if you underline or highlight, I would get this last question of of verse 12, because I think this is the question that James wants all of us to ask this morning. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Just to remind you, James is a pastor writing to Christians that have been dispersed because of persecution. I mean, so really the whole book is, is, is a letter from a pastor to believers uh, in, in the sense of how they're living. Um, there is doctrine, yes. There's theology, yes. I mean, it, I mean, it's there. 
but there's a tremendous amount of practical application because what James is aiming for and, and as inspired by the Holy Spirit, his aim is that these who have been redeemed by God would live that way. That their lives would reflect the grace and the mercy that God has shown them through Jesus. And so today is no different. Um, probably one of the most key points to remember today and to see and, and, and to emphasize, and it's nothing new if, if you've been with us, but if you look at the last word of verse 11, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Some of your translations say brothers and sisters. And so it's in the context of a church. And so we're going to talk about slander. We're going to talk about judgment and what, what judgment is okay and what judgment is sinful. But it's really, really important to remember that he's writing to people whom he assumes that the majority of them have trusted in Christ. They understand the mercy and the grace that God has shown them through Jesus. They understand that in God's infinite mercy and love, he loved them while they were sinners. He assumes he's writing to a group of people, and I want to say this up front, you'll hear it at the end as well, but he's writing to a group of people who understand that when they look at the cross of Christ, they see their judgment. And, and so here's the flaw for these believers, and, and, and I think it's, it's safe to say for, for me, I know, and for many of us at times, is that when we look at the cross as a believer, we're overwhelmed with the grace and the mercy that God has shown who? You, me. Now, here's the flaw. When we look at the cross of Christ, and then we look to our right and to our left, and we see our brothers and sisters, we're not as overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy that God has shown them. And so what happens, what fleshes itself out whenever we're just so thankful for the mercy he's shown us, which is a good thing, I'm not, it's not a bad thing, but again, the function, this grace in motion is that how we live with one another should reflect that we celebrate and worship God in the same way because of the grace and mercy that he's shown you. And so if I do that, then guess what I show you? Grace and mercy. And guess what I'm not quick to do to you? judge you why because I've seen your judgment when I look to Jesus like who am I to come behind Christ and judge you for your sin in a way that he's already judged you for your sin in Christ and so it's huge it's, it's a big deal that he's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ this is um, the church of God should be the main place that grace and mercy flows into the community the church of God should be the main place that grace and mercy flows into your life if you are a part of a community of faith. That's overwhelming, right? Because a lot of times in the church, grace and mercy is like the number one missing element when it should be the main way we function. And so this intro is long, but, but there's a, a couple of maybe in the form of disclaimers, a couple of things, maybe misunderstandings that, that I want to try to clear up if the Lord wills. Because I think judgment and judging one another is, I mean, I mean, some of you have the tattoos, only God is my judge. Some of you, you know, say that in this way and some of you think it's okay to judge. And so I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of different views on what it means to judge. And, and obviously here, the way that James calls it out is it's, it's, it's in a sinful way. And so I want to try to make a distinction between what it means to judge in the right way and what it means to judge in, in the wrong way. And so I want to start with um, 
judging in the right way. What it does not mean, what James does not mean here. All right, go ahead. It's not a sin to use discernment. And if you're, if you're taking notes, go ahead and add biblical discernment. I didn't put it in there because it, it got on my nerves how it made the sentence structure and it, and it made it go down too far on the slide. So it just, I didn't want to add it. And so I just want to say it. So biblical discernment. And so what that means is if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're a believer and you have the word of God, the spirit of God is gonna lead you to the word of God. And so as we function together in this community of faith, somebody may do something or say something or you hear something about somebody else and there's this feeling that you have, this discernment that you have that's scriptural. Now I'm not saying that, you know, you know follow your heart or what you think is right. I'm saying biblical scriptural discernment towards someone is not a sin, it's not. It's a sin if you sense something in a brother or sister that you think might be sinful or question their motives and take that somewhere else other than to them. But just the discernment in and of itself and that first judgment, if it's scriptural and based on the Bible, it, it's not sinful. Next. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. This kind of flows from that one. It's not a sin to rebuke sin. In fact, it's gracious to rebuke sin. It's really one of the most loving things that we can do is rebuke sin. In fact, that's what James is doing here from the heart of a pastor. He's, he's rebuking this sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it very clear that you can help your brother get the speck out of his eye or your sister get the speck out of her eye, which is rebuking sin, so long as you what? Get the two by four out of your eye. And so when you rebuke sin and, and you come to the brother or sister in grace and humility, that means that you already have a really healthy view of your own sinfulness and a repentant heart and you've removed the two by four, the log from your eye. And so then you have the right posture and motive and attitude to rebuke the sin in your brother or sister's life. And, and that's always coming from a heart of love and compassion. Next. It is not a sin to evaluate an individual as a leader, we have community group leader training in the summer. Um, we're going to have some new elders in our future. In the process, scriptural process for evaluating leaders in the church is there. That's not a sin. And, and so I think it's important to make a distinction of these three things because these are three scriptural ways that the Bible commands us to make judgments that aren't sinful. So what is James talking about? What does judge, judging others wrongly mean? First is this. You judge wrongly, and, and, you, and we've seen this in James already. You judge wrongly when you criticize out of jealousy or selfish ambition. I, I don't really think that needs any commentary. Because in the body of Christ, I mean, Ephesians is clear. The point of our gathering, even this gathering, the point really, and, and I, I think it's safe to say, any gathering of believers is to build up and to encourage we have so much to encourage one another in. And the, the, the irony is that in, in the body of Christ, when we do this, we do the opposite. We tear down. And so when there's jealousy or there's selfish ambition, we will be overly critical of others. We will sometimes even make stuff up, as we'll see here in a second. But the point is, you judge wrongly when the criticism and the judgment that you've cast on another individual or a group of people is because you have some sort of selfish ambition or gain you hope to get, or you're jealous. Next, you judge wrongly when you assume you know motives. Now, this is very subtle. Um, and some of you may not, I mean, it still may not click if you've never experienced something like this, but I just want to kind of give you like a hypothetical scenario. 
it might sound something like this, like a group of people questioning another individual in, in the way that they go, I just think his or her motives are bad. Like there's not a specific sin you can point out, but I think they're in it for the wrong reason. You even would hear them say, well, I mean, I, they're preaching the, the gospel, they're, they're speaking the gospel, they're doing the right things, but I just think they're their motives are wrong and so the next step that you take because their motives are wrong and as we'll see in a slanderous judgmental way is you start to spread that of what you think of their motives that's a sin in fact that's the specific sin that James is calling out guard your hearts on that speaking to me too we really need to guard our hearts on that when there's specific sin there's scriptural ways to address that we've already talked about it but whenever we're just questioning the motive of someone's heart be very careful there Because really what you're setting yourself up as is God. That you know what's in their heart. And you know really, because you're in the secret, know of what they're thinking and what they're doing. That's a sin. Next, you judge wrongly when you use stricter judgment for others than for yourself. I mean, we do that. I do that. I see it in my kids, you know. When one of my kids does something wrong and we come to them, guess what they want? This, this is one of our little family phrases. Daddy, will you show me grace? Of course, I mean, they come with the daggum preacher with that. You know what I mean? Show me grace, Daddy. I'm like, golly, how do I not show them grace? But when they're wronged and it's a brother or sister that does something wrong, guess what they want? Capital punishment. Death penalty. Bring in the hatchet. Let's go ahead and end this thing. Like, so we function that way. Again, it's kind of how I started us off. We look at the cross and we're thankful for what it means for us, but unfortunately, we don't apply that to the people around us near as quickly as we apply it to our own hearts and to our own lives. And so this is what he does mean. These are the specific sins of judgment that he's calling out and what comes along with somebody with a judgmental spirit. Almost every time. And if you can think of a scenario that this doesn't apply, then I would love to hear it. But in my experience, when people are judging wrongly, you almost always have slander. Some of your translations say slander in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. And then he says in the second part, the one who speaks against a brother, a slander. Slander is this. This is just a really simple definition. It's a harsh criticism or condemnation of another Christian. And and it's not just limited to Christians, obviously, but this is the context. It's a harsh criticism or condemnation of another Christian. Slander sometimes, or speaking evil against your brother or sister, sometimes it looks like this, like out of uh, just a hatred for the person and you wanna see them destroyed, or out of a selfish ambition that you wanna build yourself up, or both, you might fabricate a whole story and lie about them and just spread it. Slander. That's obviously a sin, right? But here again, here's how it creeps in to the community of faith in a more subtle way in prayer meetings and prayer lists and just, I just want to vent. I just want to have a conversation about somebody or something. It's real subtle. But slander is also dealing with the truth in a way that's unhealthy with the motive to tear down or malign someone's character. And so if, so if I was going to use a name, but surely there'll be somebody in here with that name. If, if person X really does sin in the community of faith, and I take my knowledge, of knowing that's a true fact, and, and, and what I do is I go to specific individuals or even to groups, and I talk about that specific sin. 
in a way that tears them down even more, condemns them even more, even though it's the truth, it's slander. It's sinful. It's not appropriate for the people of God. It's not appropriate anywhere, but we must be faithful to the text. It's not appropriate in the church. It's not appropriate in the church because here's the deal. When a brother or sister does sin and they do mess up, again, with this cross-shaped community of people that God has saved us to be, when we're constantly looking to Jesus, we're looking to the cross and we see the sin that the one commits, even if it's against us personally, judged at Calvary. And so even in that, and I know there's sometimes it's a long way home to forgiveness and reconciliation depending on the nature of, of the sin, but we must always be a people that are progressively pushing one another closer to Christ. Not condemning one another and judging as if we're God. So, about to wrap up the intro <laughs> in his 10 till. A few things that I've learned the hard way. And here's what I mean by the hard way. I've committed some sins here in this area. And also what I mean by learning the hard way, I've also been on the other end of people's sins in situations. And so here's just a few things just to kind of give us a healthy view of, of, of what's going on here, hopefully. First is this. It's the nature of slander to be repeated. Listen to me. 99% of the time, whatever you're talking about won't stop with you. And I know we all have people we can fight in, and I think that's a healthy thing, but be incredibly careful. And I would even say, don't bring sin into your closest relationships. It's still not okay to slander if you're just slandering to one person. It's still not okay to slander if you're just slandering so-and-so to your wife or to your husband. It's a sin. But even outside of the marriage covenant or those close relationships, there are some times whenever you really think you can confide when you can't. And the information that you share, that you say, doesn't stop with you. You see, that's what sin does, you guys. We have to understand the nature of sin. Sin never wants to stop. It just wants to keep going. Just the snowball, just keep getting bigger and bigger and destroy and destroy as many relationships as possible. Second, your criticism of someone may be valid, but speaking to someone other than that person is not helpful. It's harmful. It's really kind of another way to say what I've already said other than to add this element. Um, it, it may be true, but, but, but the element here is to go to the person. Go to the person that you have the angst towards. Go to the person that's offended you. Go to the person of motives that you're questioning. And if you're questioning their motives and you say, it seems like you are doing this because of this and they tell you I'm not, guess what? Get over yourself and move on. Trust God's judgment. All right? Love them. Point them to Jesus and everything and move on. Next. The criticism you give others often becomes a starting point for what others give you. If you are overly critical, just know what comes with that territory is the criticism that you're willing to openly show others. When you mess up, that's going to be where they start. That's not healthy. It's not healthy to be overly critical. It's not healthy for people to just be looking at your life through a magnifying glass waiting, just waiting for a grand opportunity to bring you down to their level. It's not healthy anywhere, certainly no place for it in the body of Christ. The last thing is this, slandering 
dehumanizes. You know what slandering lacks? Grace. It lacks grace. A lot of times when we slander people and we want to destroy people, this is what it means to say it another way. We've written them off. We've given up on them. And so when we do that to other people, and you might be thinking of people in your mind right now, and you might think, Hank, you don't understand what they've done to me. And you know what? I may not. I may not. And so I'm not making light of any situation here, but what I am telling you is whenever we write people off and we judge them in this wrong way and we slander them and we want to defame them and destroy them and malign them, when we write them off in our own way, we're saying that Jesus can't. That Jesus can't fix this. That the gospel isn't enough. I mean, it's ultimately saying... I mean, to dehumanize someone is to say that there's no way they can change. That's not the gospel that I believe. Because if there's anybody in this room that there was no way they could change, it would have started with me. And that's not some false humility. I'm just telling you the truth. If there was hope for you, then there's hope for that person. Because of who Christ is and what he's done. And so in the last part of verse 11... This is really what James is speaking to. This is what he means in regard to this dehumanizing. This is what we do. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks and judges the law. Now that's a little bit confusing, especially if you're just joining us, then there's really you need to go back and read all of chapter 2 of James to see the law that he's established and the law that he's referring to is found in the Old Testament, but fulfilled in Jesus. And so it's this new covenant law that how it applies to the community of believers It's this way, Leviticus, go ahead, Jeremy, 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. So the judgmental person is ultimately saying this to God when he judges a person wrongly or slanders a person. God, your law doesn't matter. I hear what you're saying and love your neighbor as yourself, but God, you really don't understand what this person has done to me. Or it could be just as superficial as, God, this person just really annoys me. Like, like, do you have people like that in your life? To hear their voice is annoying. You know, carrying your cross is not avoiding that person. Carrying your cross is taking the gospel into that relationship and showing them a kindness and a love that Jesus does. And see, the gospel pushes us into awkwardness. (laughs) The gospel compels us to go into situations that seem like they cannot be fixed. It seems like there's no repair. It seems like there's no hope. The gospel compels us to cross racial divides, socioeconomic divides, every divide. Jesus himself destroyed the dividing walls of hostility. We don't have to destroy any dividing walls. We only love in the way that Christ has loved us. And so when you choose not to love your neighbor as you love yourself and choose not to love a brother or sister in Christ, as Jesus said in John 13, in the way that he has loved, you're judging the law. You're saying, no, God, that law doesn't apply to this. That's a sin. See, James is dealing with our hearts. James has dealt with our hearts really from the beginning of this. When we judge our neighbor in this way, we're doing the opposite of the law. When we're judging them and condemning them, 
there's no way, there's no way to love them. So look at the end of verse 12, and I'm, I'm going to kind of work my way backwards after this, but I think this is the question that James wants all of us to ask here today. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Because James knows that when we judge our neighbor wrongly, and we judge the law saying the law doesn't apply to this relationship, we are setting ourselves in a very ridiculous position. Does anybody know where that is? On the throne. As God. So if you just want a brief synopsis of what it means to judge wrongly, it's when you judge another person as if you're God. You condemn them, you write them off, you judge them, they've blasphemed you and however that looks and the law of love does not apply to that and so you've judged the law, now you've set yourself in this arrogant place of authority in that person's life. And where this comes from is it comes from pride, pure and simple. Pride always leads to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness always leads to being judgmental. Being judgmental always leads to slander. Again, if you know scenarios where that hasn't happened, let me know. But where there's pride, there's the self-righteous. Where there's self-righteous, the self-righteous are setting themselves up against everybody around them. And if they can be better than everybody around them, then they're better. And where there's self-righteousness, there's judgment. Because they're going to judge the people that aren't as good as them. They're going to you know, obey the law in the way that they should obey the law. They're going to judge the people that don't look the way they look. They're going to judge their pastor for wearing tennis shoes. Any of y'all notice? Sorry, it's okay. You can't after. But where there's judgment, then there's slander. And it's just this vicious cycle and this circle of pride and self-righteousness and judgment and slander. And you're just wanting to tear other people down to build yourself up. And you've put yourself arrogantly on the throne. Verse 12 is, is how James shatters this mindset and this thinking. As, as these believers are functioning as if they're God, listen to what he says. Verse 12. There is only one. All right. How many? One. There's only one. In fact, by definition, there can be only one God perfect infinitely righteous infinitely just infinitely powerful infinitely wise perfect in every single way the one supreme being of the universe the reason for everything you see and our hope there can only be one i love that phrase there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So he shatters it two ways. First way, he tells them who the real judge is. And who is it? God. And I, I really feel like that James has Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two in mind, being a faithful Jew. I love this verse, by the way. I don't know if you guys have ever read this before, but this is a, this is a wonderful verse. So power-packed. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord... The Lord is our king, and he will save us. The only way we would get justice now, justice in the future, justice period, is to stick with the biblical concept that God is the ultimate lawgiver and judge. Otherwise, there's not ever going to ultimately be justice. 
because wrong will not ultimately be punished. So God, he, he sits at the top of every category, but at the category of judge, he, he's, he's there. You see, false religions, fake religions, every other religion almost, there's really twofold. One side of it is this, that God is only a judge. And, and if God is only a judge, what that means is you have to earn your way to him because you're um, anticipating this day that you stand before God. And on that day that you stand before God, if he's only a judge, if he's just a judge, then when you stand or have your ducks in a row. Like, you better have worked hard enough. You better have given enough money. You better have attended enough services. You better not have ever had anything wrong happen without immediately saying, bam, I'm sorry. You better have a pure thought and a pure motive every single time. You feel the weight of that yet? Every other religion is this idea of man working their way towards God because he's a judge. And your hope is you. Do you notice how that Isaiah scripture ends? And he will save us. Because see, the God of the Bible is, is not only a judge, the God of the Bible is also a savior. But then there's this flip side of it, okay? So if he's, some believe he's only a judge and some believe he's only a savior. And so the ones that think he's only a savior think, well, he's not a judge. He's not gonna judge anybody. Everybody's going to the same place. We're all gonna be saved in the end. Everything's gonna be okay, happily ever after. As great of a movie as that might make, that's not reality. In fact, I, 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 it's terribly inconsistent to believe that way because for the most part, I think, I think it's safe to say that even the people who believe that way, they still want justice now. If not, you wouldn't get mad about the Holocaust. If not, you wouldn't get mad about school shootings. If not, we wouldn't be in angst right now knowing that there are bombings happening right now in a city that some of our church family lives in. And so it's really inconsistent to think that God's just a savior because we want justice the only way we get justice is if God is a judge. So God is the real judge. Secondly, the second way he shatters this thinking that you can judge someone as if you're God. He tells you what the real judge is like. He is powerful in our lives. And I, I think James probably has the the words of his half-brother, Jesus, in mind here from Matthew 10, 28. Listen to what Jesus says. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. You see what he's saying there? Don't be scared of man. The worst thing man can do is take your life. You can't touch your soul. Rather, fear him, that's God, who can destroy both soul and and body in hell. We can't handle that kind of power. We're not wise enough. We're not strong enough. And so God is the only judge who has the final word in our lives in the grave and he has the power to destroy as James says and, and here's where I want to start directing your attention I've tried to already in this and so maybe this would just be a light bulb moment I want to start pointing you to God is judge and God is savior I mean where do you see because those two things uh, things seem to be almost contradictory like a judge he just makes the judgment and he sends you off to your sentencing and you're right like what the judge says happens. And so how can God be a judge and how can God be a savior? Like where do I, 
go to see that? Where do I go to hear that? Like, where is that? And I want to point your attention to Jesus. Specifically, I want to point you to the cross. Because at the cross of Christ, this is what you see. At the cross of Christ, you see God as an infinitely righteous judge. Have you ever watched The Passion of the Christ? Did you ever think, like, what in the, like, why? That's, I mean, have you ever read through Matthew's account and Luke's account of how explicitly Jesus was punished and his beard pulled out and he's stabbed and he's bleeding and he's, there's this angst, there's all, I mean, this physical, literal torment all the way to a real, physical, literal death and spiritually separated from the Father, whatever that means. The weight of sin came down on him. That's God as judge. But then you look at that same cross and you see the judge, capital J, judged in your place. Savior. Savior. Think about that. I mean, if we're a community of people who receive that and believe that and celebrate that, that somehow in God's providence, He literally took my old self, my sin, in the midst, in the middle, in. He demonstrated His love, demonstrates right now that He took my sin before I even committed it and He placed it on Christ. The punishment that my sin deserves, Jesus took it. And the same goes for you if you're a believer. In church, it's only when we see the judge judged in our place that we'll begin to live in the way that James is compelling us to live and to see one another through the lens of the cross that we'll be able to not be judgmental and not be slanderous. Because it's not even about, you know, there's all these little real cute ways to give one another the benefit of the doubt, okay? Um, Assume the best, don't believe, wait, believe the best, don't assume the worst. Good, that's great, that's cute too, it really is. But here's the deal. That's a cookie cutter world. This is we're sinners and we're still in our flesh and there's still a war going on in every one of us that are believers. And so we're gonna need the level of grace that Christ showed us, we're gonna need his power to do it, but we gotta show it to each other. We cannot be so quick to write one another off. We cannot be so quick to delete In fact, if I'm honest, and I want you to think about this. This is one thing I thought about this week. How many of relationships am I in right now that actually require the gospel? I mean, how many relationships am I currently in that I even need the Holy Spirit? Think about that. Here's a few things I've been meditating on this week we'll close with. I think this will help us stop being judgmental. Submit to the ultimate judge is first. I'm going to be kind of quick here, but there's really a couple of sermons you could preach in this. But submit to the ultimate judge. And what I mean by that is understand, I think our starting point in how we relate to one another has to be and how we understand what our starting point was with God. He was the ultimate judge and we were guilty. Guilty. In and of ourselves, we had no ability to be not guilty. There was no way out. I mean, the Bible is explicitly clear that the effects of sin were devastating. 
And so as we think about submitting to the ultimate judge, we're reminded of where we were before Jesus. And now we understand where we are on the other side because he is the judge and he is the savior. But if you're in Christ, you've become in God's courtroom right now, currently acquitted, not guilty, not because the record is now clean, but because Jesus' record is given to you. You see, Jesus was perfectly obedient for you. Jesus was brutally killed and condemned for sin on your behalf. So we must submit ultimately to the judge. Second, or submit to the ultimate judge. Recognize our tendency towards self-righteousness. That's going to be our slant. It's going to be our slant. Third, some of you may walk out here. Don't always assume you're the one who's in the right. It's hard to do, isn't it? I, don't even, I mean, is it, is it possible? <laughs> Seriously. In terms of, in this context of how we relate to one another, I'm not really talking about theology here. I'm not thinking about that, but it could mean that. I'm mainly talking about in this context of slander and judging others. Always assume you're right about an individual. And in fact, who cares if you are? Do you still want to de- destroy them? Or usher them to Jesus? But it has to start with not always assuming you're the one that's right. Last, stop and listen long and hard before you pass judgment. Social media, YouTube, I mean, guys, there is judgment past slander rolling out there like mad right now. And my hope is that we're a community of people who are willing to value people enough to listen. To hear how they got where they are. To care about their background. To love them enough to have the patience. To, if we're honest, in the back of our mind, we're going, this is wasting our time, this is meaningless, blah, 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 blah. But in the community of faith, we have to be a people who are willing to listen long and hard before we pass judgment. The kind of community that I long for us to be is a, just a cross-shaped, cross-focused, cross-centered group of people that aren't quick to pass judgment on others as if we're God, but quick to remember that all of us that are believers, we were judged, and it was in Christ. And so I pray, I pray for my own heart, and I've prayed for your hearts this week, that we would see one another through that lens that we would celebrate one another's salvation as much as we would celebrate our own salvation. Unity in the exact same way. Uh, Jordan, you guys can come on up. We're all brought in the same way. Um, and, and, and so as much as you feel like you identify with Christ, I hope and pray that you feel, I mean, camaraderie seems like a, really weak word to use in this moment but I hope that you feel that same identity with the men and women and children that proclaim the same faith that you have in Jesus and guys it's just as simple as us showing grace that phrase my kids love for me to say to show them grace to show grace towards one another 
And when there needs to be rebuke, in grace. When there needs to be judgment or questions about motive, in grace. I just refuse to be a, a person that walks around proclaiming this grace and the last one to show it. I need help in this area. I need work. I really do. And so, I think that's the community that God redeemed us in to be. That's the community we need to be. In fact, we can do all the outreaches we want to do to bring people in here, but if they come in here and they feel judged and condemned worse than they felt in the world, guess where they're going? Back to the world. And so I'm a firm believer. We ask the question all the time at Safe Haven, what are we bringing them into? If, if we bring people in and they come in and automatically feel like a liability or a nuisance, it's not a church. The church is centered on the gospel, welcoming people in, grace and mercy, confronting sin, but never void of the gospel. So we're going to close with a song because we had so much stuff going on. Um, but, but my hope and prayer is that you respond to the Lord however that looks for you. If, if it's to surrender and submit to Him for the first time, because you've heard the gospel and understood it for the first time that he, he literally took your sin and, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and trusted Him as your Savior, as your substitute I hope and pray you do that I don't have a magic wand to make that happen there's any dust to sprinkle on your head but I'd be glad to pray with you I'd be glad to point you more to Jesus and lead you to Him and I'll be available up front but believers, let's just worship, repent and celebrate what Christ has done let's stand